today we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. And uh, Philippians really is a letter out of response to generosity. Um, what you may not realize that a lot of what we have in the New Testament, uh, really all of the letters that uh, were from Paul uh, were written. Paul was either in prison or in transit, and he wrote to churches that he had planted or church that, churches that he had leadership over. And uh, one of those churches was at Philippi. Uh, he started it about 10 years before, um, and he found himself in Rome in prison. And uh, from Rome in prison, he wrote a letter uh, to the church at Philippi, really uh, because they had been generous toward him, and they had sent help to him and help to the churches. And so he, this was really, Philippians was really a thank you letter. That's so interesting when you think about it that way. That's the context. It was a thank you letter. And uh, the thing about Philippians is that it was very, very intimate. These were people that Paul had a, a relationship with. It was different than a lot of the letters that Paul had written because a lot of the letters that Paul wrote, uh, he wrote uh, letters of correction um, he wrote letters because he had opposition in churches or places, and so he needed to write to deal with that opposition, or he needed to write to deal with correction. Philippians is different. It has a different tone. Um, these are his friends. These are people he, he loved very much and people who were very, very supportive of him. And uh, so out of that support, he wanted to write to them, let them know how much he appreciated the support, and also he wanted to encourage them because he himself at that time was in prison. Uh, he was undergoing a lot of hardship and he knew that they were undergoing hardship as well. And those hardships that they were undergoing were piling up on them. It was beginning to weigh. Have you ever had a week where things just start to pile up? Um, they change the load shedding schedule on you. Um, then all of a sudden the water doesn't work. And uh, the boss changes, so, you know, a new client comes and something changes. You ever have a work week where it just starts to pile up? Then something goes wrong with the car. And for the church at Philippi, Paul loved them. He cared a lot about them. Um, but the pressure of everything in life was, was piling up. And so he was writing to them to say, I love you. Thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, but he used that as a pivot point to try to encourage them because they had sent encouragement to him and so now he wanted to encourage them and, and the pressure that was piling up was starting to get to them and it was starting to affect them. There was religious pressure that was going on. There were, there were people who were trying to add to their theology and that religious pressure was getting at them. There was, there was pressure within the group. Have you ever had a uh, you know, maybe for those of you who are married, you ever, you're having a bad week and, you know, you and your spouse, you just have this wonderful loving relationship, but then when everything starts to pile on, all of a sudden you, you start to get on each other's nerves a little bit. That's just Desiree and I. Okay, well, <laughs> babe, we'll work on it. Everybody else is good. Or maybe, maybe it's not you're married. Maybe, maybe you have a roommate or, or maybe it's a family member. Right. You know, when the pressure's Get on, people that you love and you care about, all of a sudden your relationship starts to fray, right? Paul needed to, to deal with that because the Philippian church. So this letter really is about, is about dealing with that. And Paul, what Paul's wanting to say is he's wanting to say, look, your generosity towards me, it really looks a lot like God's generosity towards us. And, and, and you gave me hope because of your generosity now, God gives us hope because of his generosity towards us. And, and, and I want you to see my life here in prison and what I'm going through, I want it to serve as an example to you so that 
whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, that we understand that all of us are putting our hope in Jesus. And as we put our hope in Jesus, no matter what we face, we're going to come out and we're going to come out stronger. We're going to come out better. And we're going to remember to reflect him. And so today we're going we're gonna to look deeply at the book of Philippians. And I have, uh, I have some help today with, with the message. And this is, what, this is what's really exciting. For those of you who may not be aware, here at North Place, uh, we have an internship program. Um, what that means is there are people uh, in, our, in our church who have identified that, that perhaps God is calling them in, into a place of ministry to serve in a place of ministry. Now, this may be different than the culture that you're used to. In our culture at North Place, ministry is not about title and positions. It's not about platforms and power. It's about being a servant. For us, ministry it, it, it's, not about, it's not about titles. Uh, really, it's about, it's about serving. And so here at North Place, uh, we recognize that a part of our responsibility as a local church is to help those who perhaps the Lord is speaking to them about serving deeper uh, in ministry, that we can help prepare them and we can help develop them for ministry. And so we have an internship uh, program here, and we have those who have been serving in that internship program. And we have, uh, we have three who have been in our internship program for three years, and they're going to help me uh, with today's message. They're going to preach a part of this message today. Now, we're going to learn. We're going to learn, as Paul was saying uh, to the, the church at Philippi. We're going to learn, listen, God loves you. He cares about you. He's been generous with you just like you've been generous with me. And, and yeah, you may be going through some difficulties and the pressure of life can be hard and it can be difficult, but, but I've got a secret. I'm gonna read this to you for Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 13. It's not on the screen. I'm just gonna read it because I want you to understand this is really the letter. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Remember, this is a thank you letter. He said, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, uh, for I have learned to be content in whatever my circumstances. Paul says, listen, I've got a secret. I've got a secret. I've got a secret. How do you live through the pressure of all of this and keep it together? He says, the secret is this. I've learned to be content no matter what my circumstances are. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Come on, now you're getting it. I'm going to read that again. We're practicing, guys. I know what it is to be in need. Somebody say, yeah, I know. I know what it is to have plenty. Somebody over here said, I've never had plenty. And then he says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any, any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and then he says this, and we can, most all of us who've been in church for any time at all, we can quote this. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Imagine being the kind of person who says, I can do all of this. That's exactly who God is calling us to be. Would you guys welcome Steph as she comes to share with us today? Okay, today, as you know, we're looking at the book of Philippians, so I'm going to dive right in with one of the most famous scriptures. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul presents two options. Living is embedding your lives in Christ, for Christ, and like Christ, the suffering servant, or to die and be with Christ. 
The former happens at the end of a good and faithful servant's life, and we have zero control over the when that happens. But the former happens right now, and we can partake in living a good and faithful servant's life. Paul is encouraging the church of Philippi and the modern church to lean into that right now. So if we look at the opening lines of Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And I'm going to stop right there. Because Paul said so much in that one line about living for Christ that I think we might have missed some of it. In that one line, Paul not only greets the the Gentile Philippi church, but throws a bold statement to the general, patriotic Roman population. In that one line, Paul has identified himself as a servant, which might not mean much to us, but it has great significance. In ancient times, a servant of an important person often held more authority than a free Roman person because they carried the authority of their master. So a servant carries the authority of their master. Paul has just identified himself as a servant of Christ, and thereby he carries the authority of Christ. And they knew, and we know, that there is no higher authority than Christ. And in the past couple weeks, Randy's been speaking about a prime Old Testament example of a servant who carries the authority of their master. Joseph carried the authority of Pharaoh. Anything Joseph said or did was if Pharaoh had done it himself. And so the second thing that Paul is boldly stating to the general Roman population, again, a very patriotic people to their government, is that Christ is the ultimate authority. Many of these Roman soldiers were, many of these Roman citizens were retired soldiers, and so they considered themselves free. They had fought and won many battles, even that town, for their Roman rulers. And so under their authority, they considered themselves free. But Paul challenges them in identifying himself as a servant. And the word servant goes so much deeper. The Greek word servant, yes, the Greek word servant is doulos, which can mean servant, but also means slave. And Paul is boldly communicating to these Romans that as a true-born Roman citizen, he has chosen his freedom not to be free, but to become a slave or servant for Christ. And this conveyed the message that being a servant or slave for Christ is better than being free under the authority of Rome or under the authority of any man. So let me repeat To be a servant for Christ is better than being a servant under the authority of man. But how does this translate and why is it relevant to us? I'll give you a real quick example. When I finished high school, I decided to work and travel. So I jetted off to Ireland. And as people got to know me, they would say things like, and many people did this, oh, so you're Protestant. And I was like, I was a little bit confused and a little bit irritated. I didn't enjoy being put into a category. And honestly, I didn't really know what a Protestant was. Um, But in their mind, to the Northern Islanders, in their cultural context, I was Protestant. And so without my consent or without my knowledge, I had been placed into an age-old war and an ongoing rivalry between Protestants and Catholics, but behind Protestant lines. And yet, logically, if I stepped back and looked through their lenses, I had entered the United Kingdom 
And simply for the fact that I was Christian and not Catholic, I was a Protestant. And the same is spiritually true for Christians. Simply by identifying with Christ, you are behind Christ's battle lines. And so we're either serving Christ or we're serving some other master, whether it be people or inner peace or the universe. Anything not Christ is a lure from the enemy into his service. And this is so evident in the modern church. Across the world, doors are closing and there's a lack of a true Christ-like community simply because of an uncarried and impure gospel and people not knowing their true identity. There is a war waged against the church to distract and disable them from identifying boldly as a servant of Christ. But you're on this side of the battle. You're on Christ's side. And you fight by serving, just as he did. Earlier, we learned that a servant serves someone of importance. So if you start serving someone, by your actions, you are saying that they are important, that they are worthy. You see them as Christ sees them, because he too served man. And so when you serve, you elevate. You build up a person. If you build up a person, you build up a church, a body of people knowing that they are worthy. And then they too begin to serve and build up a church until it is a unified, united front against the authorities of this present darkness. And so serving builds a united people. Being a servant of Christ means you fight on his side. You partake in his authority and work, in his mission and message. His mission being the Great Commission and his message, the gospel. And so if you are serving Jesus, the suffering servant, you share in the joy. And at the end of a good and faithful life, you will enter the joy of the Father. And you'll share in his glory. And so if you're sharing in the glory, you're sharing in the suffering too. Because Jesus was the suffering servant. And so with his authority, nothing can stop you. Not a cross, not a shipwreck, not a snake bat, not jealous brothers, not prison, not riots or floods. And so let nothing stop you. Know your identity and serve so this week, I want you to pick one person that you can serve wholeheartedly with love, just as our Jesus did for us. Okay, so, <laughs> when you guys think about humility, what comes to mind? Well, let me ask you this serious question. Who of you thinks that they are pretty humble? All right, so in Philippians chapter 2, we see a couple of things that Paul is speaking about here. Remember, we've established that he's talking to the church in Philippi. He's facing opposition, right? And he's trying to encourage them by pointing to his own life as an example, but more specifically to Jesus' life as an example. And in this case, he's admonishing them to take on Christ's humility as the model. He starts out by saying in Philippians 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being in one spirit and of one mind. Philippians chapter 2 is broken down into three main parts. So firstly, Paul focuses on Jesus' mindset and his attitude, like we see in this passage right here. And then secondly, he's explaining to them how they can be humble, 
by continuing to work out their salvation, to obey, and to do everything without grumbling. Because the truth is, we all grumble about things all the time. So that they in turn can do, as he says in verses 15 and 16, shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then lastly, he's highlighting Timothy and Epaphroditus um, as examples of people that imitated Christ in their lives. Both of these guys were serving the gospel very faithfully, and they endured tremendous hardships. I really encourage you to read the whole chapter and the whole book, because I find the book of Philippians to be very clear and practical. Paul makes the following point clear to us. Jesus Christ is the only one we should keep our focus on in good and in bad times. Although we will never be Jesus, we know that the Holy Spirit is transforming us daily to be like him. And Paul is writing in this chapter a poem to highlight, uh, highlight Jesus' deity, his divine nature, and his character. And what I love about this is that the focus is not on what Jesus did particularly, but it is about his heart and his attitude. And this is just one great example in Scripture. We as people can fall easily into that trap of focusing only on the miracles that Jesus performed instead of, um, you know, focusing on his deeds. We can focus on the specific miracles and then pray that he does it for us too, but it's not the point. The whole of Scripture points to the Savior Jesus Christ and his story of redemption. The Bible, and then particularly this chapter, shows Jesus' selflessness and his ability to empathize with us in our condition. As he walked towards the cross to his death, he was more concerned about us than he was with his own desires and his own reputation. Jesus was fully sold out for God's will and for God's love. We know this because he was in full surrender as he waited for God's love to reach its fulfillment while he was hanging on the cross. The great poem that Paul is talking about here, or the early church hymn as it's sometimes referred to, um, is seen in verses 5 to 11. Paul is encouraging the church by describing the mindset of Jesus that they should have in their relationships. He says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing but taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, all for the glory of God the Father. Whew. Amen. And this is really, this is the full extent of the gospel. Jesus deemed the glory of God the Father higher esteem than himself. Now, the opposite side of humility is egotism. And the fact of the matter is, we as humans are all guilty of that. Our own desires come down to status and public honor. And we see that in the places we work, in the places we serve at, and on social media most of all. And we seek to feel seen, and we seek to feel known by people, and we are unwilling to do the necessary things that seem below our desired image for ourselves. We get entrapped into that pride that Bosserani spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And what is the remedy to this egotism? It's found in the words and in the behavior of Jesus. The example that he set is one that we can follow so that we can live in dignity and humility ourselves. 
Now that we know that God wants us to follow Jesus' example of humility and of obedience, what will we do with it? My friend, the good news for us today is that we are able to do that because of his great love for us. The Bible talks over and over again about the compassion that the Lord has on us. And his compassion is not just an emotion, but it is an action. And we can serve the church. We can serve people. We can have faith that he is with us and that he gets the glory in the process because of the great compassion he's had since the beginning of time. And if anything else, let's walk away today with this. There's no humility without love. Yeah. And to make it a little bit more simple for ourselves, God is calling us through Philippians 2 to walk humbly and to love each other. God's love and compassion towards us is so real that we are able to do that. We can do that. And we love each other by really listening, by being aware of every single moment, by walking slowly through the room, and by submitting ourselves to his word. He loved us first, and that is why he did what he did. Remember what we said earlier. Jesus Christ is the only one we should keep our focus on in good and in bad times. And we want to live according to that call from God in Philippians 2, to love as he does, to continue to work out our salvation and humility without grumbling. I'm guilty of the grumbling, so I'm just highlighting that. God calls us to walk humbly, love and serve his children, and then be submitted to him. And what does that look like for us this week? Where can you and I love and serve people better? So that by this time next week, we will be able to say, I have put myself aside to keep the focus on Jesus. I have put myself aside to love and to serve my friend, just as Steph as well said. And we're not doing it to impress or or to please other people or even to manipulate our situation to change, but we do it for the joy of knowing Jesus, our perfect Jesus, and by surrendering every single part of us to him. All for the glory of God the Father. Well, we all as human beings are seeking the truth. What is it that we have to look for that is going to bring meaning and fulfillment in our lives? What is going to fill the emptiness and the brokenness that we have in our hearts? For Paul, it's really simple. It's Jesus. Jesus is the truth that we all seek. Jesus is God simply because in his resurrection, he already defied death. And he had validated all all of his teachings, and the way of life. What does that mean? It means that his resurrection now provides the proof and the evidence that we too are children of God. And by association, it means that, listen, we are victors. We can share in his resurrection life. Hallelujah. They learned well. You see, the contest at the time of Paul's writing was that his opposition were, they were just complaining about the Gentiles not being circumcised. And they have to be circumcised. I know it's funny, but for whatever reason, they they were thinking, you have to be circumcised before you could be called a true Christian. And if you don't know what circumcision is, circumcision was simply an old tradition. It was meant to be an external symbol between God and Abraham. 
That symbol was meant to identify his people, Israel, as a kingdom of priests that were meant to bring God's will into the world. But here we have the opposition making it all about a symbol. We learn from Paul that circumcision is not simply... So Paul, in explaining to them what circumcision is, he reads Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 to 6. Okay, what, for what is it that we... Sorry, what is it that we who, ha, who are the circumcision... We who serve the God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You see, true connection with God is about the internal condition of the heart, not our external appearance. Paul is saying, the value of circumcision is not found in its external symbol, but rather it is the internal relationship we have with God through faith. Why is that important? Because that is what is going to provide the evidence that you are a child of God. His opposition were making it all about a symbol and not the relationship which gives meaning to the symbol. In our lives today, if you can imagine a scenario where you are trying to win a car race. But you have decided to put all of your efforts in how the car looks like. So on the outside, you look like a Lamborghini. But you have got a beetle for an engine. No pun intended if you're a beetle lover. You are not going to win the race according to how you are looking. And yet, for many of us, we place so much of emphasis on how we look. We seek approval from people and from men. We are so critical and judgmental of others. Never really pursuing a true relationship with God. Paul is saying to us this morning, let what God has done in your heart grow inside out. There's so much here. Listen, let me tell you something. Paul is not making this argument because he has nothing to offer. This is not the point. You see, Paul was a Benjamite. Now, if you know anything about history, the Benjamites were from a royal bloodline. It is the Benjamites that gave Israel its first king in Saul. In history... When the Israel was broken into two, we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The Benjamites stayed in the south. It is in the south that we have Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the capital city and also the seat of David. So, in other words, Paul had all of this stuff going for him. In addition to that, that man was still a Pharisee, an expert of the law on top of all this. But Paul will tell you, he is the first one to tell you, 
All of this means absolutely nothing compared to the knowledge of Christ. He tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law, but which is through Christ in faith, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What is this man talking about? True righteousness comes through faith in Jesus. The Bible makes us understand in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, our righteousness, they are like filthy rags before God. So, why do you want to have confidence in them? Rather, seek relationship which can be found in Jesus. Not by following some bunch of laws and never knowing the lawgiver. No, become like him in relationship so that it will be extended to you, his righteousness. That is the point, guys. What are we talking about? When you look like Jesus, it is honorable. For some of us, we may never suffer. Maybe knowing Jesus will not bring suffering. But for others, it's going to bring a lot of suffering. But let me tell you something. If you suffer because of Jesus, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Why? Because then you get to go on a journey. And you get to learn how through the Holy Spirit... You are able to navigate all of those challenges. In your suffering, that is where you get to understand how is my identity in him meant to be lived out. Not by running away and swerving the storms. No, but by bringing the storms to the obedience of his word. We are meant to wear his sufferings like badges. You know why? Because that is what is going to identify you more with him as a crucified savior. When you share in his suffering, then you can also share in his victory over death. Suffering for, for Christ is definitely not a burden. Guys, what does this all mean? We've talked quite a bit about a lot, but what does it mean? Why are we here today? Why are you listening to me? My message is very simple. Get to know your father through relationship. How does that look like? From Monday through to Friday. Become serious with your daily 20. We talk about daily 20 all the time in the church. Get to know your father. The reason is because, you see, as you get to know him, you build resilience. So when you are going through things, you too will have the same resolve that Paul had. And so in closing, let us all be united in love, pursuing our Lord in intimacy. 
so that when we have to go through things, we will know exactly how we are supposed to conduct ourselves. Amen. We're not closing quite yet. Because we've gone chapter one, two, three. Now let's look at chapter four. You've learned Philippians today. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now. I don't know. But imagine North Place Church in Durban, South Africa, gets a letter from Pastor Randy and Desra. And it's a letter that's writing to you to encourage you and remind you of the good times that we've had and to say thank you for all of the wonderful things you've done in our life. And it's 20 years from now and we've retired to the countryside in France. <laughs> and my beautiful wife can stroll through the village and get a fresh baguette every day. And we're just writing a letter to you to tell you, thank you. Thank you for all of the years. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for, thank you for your goodness. And, and, and just to encourage you, because perhaps 20 years from now, you need some encouragement. And, and, and imagine we're writing that letter, and in writing that letter, um, we found out there's a couple of you who are not behaving so well. And whoever the pastor is 20 years from now gets up to read that letter and, and they're reading that letter and they're saying, oh, this thank you and this and this and this. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, Ian, <laughs> Tobogo, we've heard that you guys are squabbling a little bit. And you're not getting along very well. Hey, everybody. Because remember, this is a public letter that is being read to the whole church from the founder of the church. And he calls out two people. And he says, hey, everybody. These two people, are they're behaving ridiculous. Can you help them get along? Because as I've been saying to you, as I've been saying to you, in your generosity towards me, you look a lot like Jesus. And, um, and wow, as these guys have so aptly laid out, this is what Jesus looks like. Uh, and uh, Jesus is someone who humbles himself and Jesus is someone who serves. And true righteousness isn't about it's not about your title. It's not about your position. It's not about the stuff that you do. It's not about um, whether you've been circumcised or not. True righteousness really is found in Christ. And what it looks like to be in Christ uh, is, is really, it's really proven, not through your religious activity, but you can really see it in how you treat each other. It really comes out in the pressure of how hard life is. 
When the pressure's on, that's when you know if righteousness is real or not. And when the pressure is on and you're interacting with somebody who maybe is different than you or gets on your nerves or is difficult to deal with, um, that's when you really, imagine what it was like to be Yodia or Syntyche. And that was the letter that Paul wrote. And when you, in your daily 20 this week, when you read chapter four, what you're gonna see is that Paul calls out these two people that he actually really, really loves and he thinks a lot of. In fact, he says to the community, hey, remember, these guys, they were with me from the beginning and they've helped me so much. He's not doing it to embarrass them. He's doing it because he really does love them. And what he realizes is, as for himself, sometimes when life is hard and it's difficult and you're under pressure, sometimes, sometimes you can turn on the people who are the closest to you. And really what Paul is saying is it's in these relationships with the people that closest to you that Jesus should most, mostly be demonstrated. Then Paul says this, I want to read it to you, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Remember, he's told them, I know the secret. This is what he says in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, not the people I like, not just the people who don't get on my nerves, not just the people who are like me, not just the people who vote the same way I do, not just the people who agree with me, not just to everyone else besides the taxi drivers. I'm sorry if you're a taxi driver this morning. The Lord is near. Can I, can I share something with you? This is a secret to understanding the New Testament. This is a secret to understanding. If you've ever wondered, how did the New Testament church like, how did they really live for Jesus? I know, Evan's talked about it. I know we suffer. I understand, and there's many of us in this room who have suffered in different ways in our life. But none of us, none of us have ever suffered like the New Testament church suffered. If you, if you don't understand that, you need to study history. Um, how did they do it? How did they do it? Well, they did it because they lived with the urgency of the presence of Jesus. They really believed that Jesus was going to return at any moment. The reason, the reason the church spread the way it spread, the reason evangelism happened, and it wasn't like, oh, is my gift evangelism? Oh, if my gift's not evangelism, then I'll just let everybody go to hell. The reason they really shared the gospel, even though it cost them their life, and it literally cost them their life, the reason they were committed to, being, to suffering and still reflecting gentleness was because of the urgency of the return of Jesus. They lived that way. They really believed Jesus could return at any moment. Paul says, listen, you can let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. His presence is near. I believe he's coming at any moment. And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And... The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This whole letter hinges on the concept of being able to be at peace, in peace, no matter what. If we were to all be honest with ourselves this morning, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised. It doesn't matter how religious you are or irreligious you are. A relevant question for every one of us in this place this morning, no matter what your color of your skin is, no matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter what country you're from, a question that's relevant to everyone in this room, how's your peace? How's your peace? Are you at peace in yourself? Are you at peace with other people? And are you at peace with God? Is your conscience clear? Are your relationships healthy? And do you know that you know that you know that your eternity is secure? What are your relationships? Your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, and your relationship with God. Paul says, truly, If you're experiencing Christ, then your relationship with yourself, it's good. Your relationship with others is good. Your relationship with your God is good. Mature, mature people and healthy people, maturity and health are demonstrated through intentionality of a framework. Paul says, here's the framework. The framework is this, whatever's good, whatever's holy, whatever's righteous, whatever's of good report. The, frame, the framework is simple, it's this. The framework is no matter what's going on, I reframe it by choosing to rejoice. No matter how bad it is, I reframe it by choosing to rejoice. Yeah, it's bad, let me say it again, rejoice. No matter how bad you treat me, no matter what happens, I'm gonna reframe the situation because I'm not gonna be like me, I'm gonna be like Jesus. Gentleness is gonna be evident to all. I'm gonna reframe it. The urgency of whatever my situation is, the Lord is near, he's with me. He's with me in this. I'm gonna reframe my anxiety, I'm gonna reframe my depression, I'm gonna reframe my fear, I'm gonna reframe Whatever the situation is in my life, how do I do that? Practically, pastor, how do I do that? Through prayer, through petition, through praise. Through prayer, through petition, through praise. We talk about a daily 20, not because it sounds cool. We talk about a daily 20 because it helps you to reframe your every single day. Five minutes in worship, five minutes in the word, five minutes of prayer, five minutes of meditation reframes your day. Mature and healthy people 
do not allow their circumstance to dictate their reality. Instead, they reframe their reality through intentionality. They have a daily 20, not because they're religious. They have a daily 20 because they want peace. Paul says it very simply. You are what you focus on, and you are who you follow. You are what you focus on, and you are who you follow. Paul has said it over and over again. I'm imperfect, but follow me. Don't follow me because I'm perfect. Follow me because I'm following Jesus. Follow me because I've committed myself to reframing my reality through prayer, through petition, and through praise. Not because I'm circumcised, not because I'm a Pharisee, not because I've got it all figured out, but because every day I reframe my day because every day I choose to follow Jesus. I don't listen to the bad report. I don't listen. I don't build my life based on other people's perception. I build my life based on Jesus. Philippians is a beautiful letter and it's for you and it's for me. How's your peace?